It's the journey we're on and all of the little things that happen on the way to our goals that really make the difference. We're going to continue with the pursuit. Welcome back to another episode of Pursuing the Process. Todd, you are looking swaggy today. You got a backwards hat. You trying to hide some eye bags under there? You been sleeping lately, buddy? Dude, the listeners aren't supposed to know that we can see each other, man. Because they don't get the benefit of this. And thank God they don't today. Because, yeah, it's been a long weekend, dude. Everybody not going to all the details, but, yeah, it's a long weekend. Todd is not looking his finest, but typically he is a very handsome, attractive man. But <laughs> before we get into that. I appreciate that, dude. Feelings mutual, by the way. Uh, oh, thank you. You stop it. Maybe you need to sit down and just, just take it take it easy today. Maybe watch a movie, watch a show. Anything you've been into lately? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, actually. I'm not, I'm not a big show watcher, as my wife Heidi will attest. She gets pissed at me because I, don't, I watch nothing but documentaries for the most part. Uh, but I did get into the show Ted Lasso, and I know mm. that many people have gotten into this show recently. Have you ever seen it? I have not. I've heard a little bit about it, but I honestly don't even know the plot or what this is all about. Yeah, I'm not quite through season two yet, so hopefully people aren't hitting me up after this with uh, spoilers. But um, we're pretty much through the second season, and I would say that um, I've been pleasantly surprised. I don't find the show to be very funny. Um, I know it's supposed to be a comedy. But Maybe I you do just don't find... quite get humor. Is that, is that That's possible? true. Well, I, I don't get English humor. I do know that. Uh, <laughs> I, like, like the original Office, I, I don't laugh at that whatsoever. Um, I just, yeah, maybe I don't get that part. But I do like the character development and the texture of the relationships. And that's what I think keeps me coming back. I don't, I don't like cheap plots where they resort to like really weird plot twists and Things just get so wacko that I can't, I just can't even suspend my belief in order to, f- to continue to follow along. Uh, and there was one episode recently in Ted Lasso. And if you've seen the show, you know what I'm talking about. The one where the assistant coach Beard goes off and wanders the streets of London. Uh, that was the weirdest episode I think I've seen um, in a long time of any show. But I think for the most part, it sticks to pretty realistic plot lines and and real relationships between the characters. And I I really like that. I think I did, I wasn't sure if I, you know, Ted Lasso was going to keep my attention for this long. And while uh, some of his anecdotes um, are a little cheesy, it is absolutely a great lesson on how to lead and how to build connectedness between human beings and to create a culture. It's just a really uh, interesting uh, storyline that I didn't think I was going to benefit that much from. I thought it was going to be a pretty light, type of plot that I would follow. And um, it's been much more than that. And I think that's what keeps a lot of people coming back to that show. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. Hmm. So if I'm looking to not laugh, but learn a little bit, <laughs> stray away from the documentaries and go straight to Ted Lasso. That's what Dude, I'm you'll, you'll laugh because you understand humor. See, I don't, I don't get it. So. <laughs> Just need to laugh um, up, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. Um, hey, but at least no, you're watching you... something comedy. I am. I, I am at least watching something. What are you See, doing? I tend to default more to like the TED Talk realm. And honestly, a lot oh. of podcasts, like quick kind of snippets is my style. A lot of YouTube videos. One got brought up actually recently. It's one I'd seen in the past. A friend sent it to me again. But have you ever seen the TED Talk around creating lollipop moments? I have quite a while back. But um, you'll have to remind me of a little bit more about it. 
the story goes was the guy who was on campus and presented a lollipop to a girl. She came to him four years later and said that that made her so much more comfortable at college. It was this moment that changed her life. She's still dating the guy that he forced to give her the lollipop. Really kind of cute, funny story. But it's all around this idea that you can create these moments in other people's lives that you don't know has such a profound impact on them. But it's those special moments. You keep putting yourself out there. You lead with care and just this genuine heart. It's really unique, special moments you can create. And I was even thinking you've led teams. You've had probably a lot of lollipop moments that by nature you don't really recall or know the impact it made. Any moments stand out where people have come to you and kind of expressed this lollipop type moment that have really filled your cup, warmed your heart? Well, I, I think two things. Number one, I think it actually is very um, relevant to what I just talked about with Ted Lasso. I think he does that. He creates lollipop moments with the people around him. Um, uh, you'll find out in the show that he, uh, he makes biscuits for the owner of the, of the team he coaches. And every morning shows up with those handmade biscuits. And um, it's a lollipop moment that I know she appreciates and really kind of won her over, quite honestly. So, uh, I, but I think on my, my personal perspective, um, you know, it's well documented now and I'll maybe stop talking about it at some point, <laughs> but I was with one company for 20 years and, and left a few months ago. Uh, when you, when you have those events in your life like that, you know, it's, you don't get too many of those. I don't think it's either like you get married, you die. Like there's this major milestones in your life where you get to reflect and people get to reflect on you as well. And the role that you've had in their lives. And I, I have to say, I was humbled by the stories that, uh, that I got on just simple thing. I didn't think anyone was even listening sometimes, you know, <laughs> it was how I, portrayed myself as a dad and how much I love my kids. And people took that away from, from my leadership style or how I remembered people's birthdays. And I had every, everybody's birthday who I knew was on my calendar and I made sure to make a big deal about it. And those are like little tiny things that people came back to me though. And they said, you know what? It just showed you cared, showed you cared about me as a person that you took the time to recognize me. And it's very simple gestures like that. I, I didn't think were even a, a big deal. And I just, I've learned that from other people. I'm not, I didn't come up with these things by myself, but um, I am, I was very humbled in that process. And I think that was one of the best things about being able to take a victory lap before I left was to hear those stories and just the reinforcement of some of the things that I was doing that I didn't think people even noticed. I will attest to that. And one moment that stands out for me is a celebration of you actually leaving the company. And we were all sitting around, we kind of had a glass raise and everyone went around and told an individual story. And one that openness of dialogue, like people being vulnerable and sharing stories like that. I think people need to do that amongst their friends, amongst their family far more often because it's so raw and like you get to things that actually matter and like express emotion. But also to your point, like the stories people brought out, I was like, wow, this is very admirable. And not to pump your tires too much here, but <laughs> it was really cool to be a part of. And I also have to laugh because you mentioned birthdays and when we recently talked, I realized that I completely missed your birthday. So <laughs> happy, happy bladed, bud. <laughs> no, thanks buddy. I appreciate that. Man. I appreciate but, it. Yeah. That, that event was one of the most special uh, in my life. Uh, the one you're talking about where it was so cool. many awesome things were said and I hopefully got a chance to say that uh, many things back. Uh, yeah. There was laughter. There were tears. Those kind of chill moments that are so special and in the spirit of building into the lives of others and how much it means to be a part of something bigger than yourself. We are joined today by someone who embodies that through and through. Gabby Napier is a first-generation American, her parents Indonesian, grandparents Chinese, and she grew up a Midwesterner, currently residing in Michigan. Don't worry, Todd, we won't throw out too many Go Blue references here, know how much of a diehard badger you are. <laughs> but she does live in Michigan with her husband and recently 
a new baby daughter. Congratulations. Gabby built a grassroots volunteer organization that helps individuals connect with social impact projects working toward the global goals for sustainable development. She's created a network of hundreds of volunteers across the world and continues to serve organizations working towards solving some of the biggest problems. Giving is in the fabric of who she is. and It's just one of the many admirable qualities she holds. She's a leader, a role model, a friend. Gabby, thank you for joining us here today. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Talk a little bit about just your upbringing and how that shaped you to start off. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I like to call myself a Midwest gal through and through. Um, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, have lived in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and now I'm um, living in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So checking off all those Midwest boxes. Um, but I am a first generation, like you mentioned, John. Uh, so my parents immigrated from Indonesia to the United States for college. Um, so as being in the Midwest, growing up in Cincinnati, Ohio, definitely grew up in a neighborhood that was primarily Caucasian. Uh, so I was one of the only Asian families within my school district and area. Uh, so definitely felt like I stood out for sure. Um, and even when we would go back to Indonesia every summer, still really didn't feel like I fit in there either. Um, I was this American kid that dressed, dressed very much like an American, um, but couldn't really speak the language, spoke a little bit of the language, but with a very heavy accent. So with that, I think that growing up, um, I always kind of took a step back and tried to fit in or try to listen and see what was going on around me um, just to acclimate a little bit. And I think from there that really helped me build my observant skills and to explore what was going on around me. How did that experience of feeling like you were a bit of an outcast, regardless of whether you were in, you know, the country you were born in or, or the country your parents were born in, how did that shape kind of your worldview? How did it shape how you view cultures um, and, and how you view how people interact? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, I realized that regardless of what the color of my skin was or what language I spoke, at the end of the day, everybody is just people, right? And they want to they want to feel like they're valued. So asking how their day went, how they're feeling, and no matter what culture you're in or what situation you're in, everybody always wants to feel that value. Um, so I've really found that that that's the foundation of people building and really having empathy and being empathetic um, no matter what situation you're in can help you get over that hump of feeling other because everybody's at the base of it just people and they want to feel valued I feel that being your friend that you are very empathetic you have strong people skills so how much of that would you attribute to having unique experiences at a young age that it kind of forced you to develop or like you said the observation skills from a young age I would say situations in particular going back to Indonesia for sure. When we were going back to Indonesia, I think the biggest thing that always hit me when we went home um, was that the gap between rich and poor within Indonesia was quite large. Um, so for example, we'd be going to the mall and at the mall within Indonesia, there are a lot of luxury stores. So we're talking large brands, Prada, Louis Vuitton, but as we were going to the mall, you're, you're seeing beggars come up to your door and directly begging you for money. 
it just struck me to say, okay, how how can a a, a country have such a large disparity? So when we take that and you take such a young kid and bring them back to the United States and you don't see that here in the United States as often, how do we, it just shifts, it shifted my perspective, right? I wanted to understand, okay, what made them different versus what here in the U.S. makes us different? So then you start to build, at first, I think is very much sympathy, but then as sympathy kind of builds, you're trying to figure out how that sympathy can build into empathy because empathy is really where action comes from. I think when you're sympathetic, you're not as, you don't relate and understand the problem versus where when you're empathetic, you truly understand the problem so you can start to move towards solutions. Do you think it's possible to be empathetic in situations that you've never been in or never experienced yourself? I think you definitely can be. I think it is harder, but I think there is an element of if you truly understand and research the problem or put yourself in that person's shoes, you can be empathetic. I do think that there is an element that could you understand or could you have a next layer of empathy if you truly had experienced that? Yes, 100%. Um, I think that there there is definitely layers to empathy for sure. Um, I would say, so I, in my role um, at our company, I, I grew up in the supply chain, for example. Um, and I worked on the shop floor with a lot of men. Um, I currently work in the digital organization and it's primarily males as well too. But in order for me to interact with my counterparts, there is an element in which I have to be empathetic and understand, hey, like my shop floor operators, they wanna be asked about football, hunting and fishing. I have <laughs> no knowledge on any of those things, but at the end of the day, it goes back to the point that, hey, there's still people. They want to be asked about those things. I don't have any experience in hunting or fishing or barely football, but at the same time, I have empathy to know, hey, they're people and they want to be asked these things. And do those guys on the shop floor make the same effort to connect with you and yeah. what your interests are? I think at the end of the day, they say, they see that, hey, I they, that I have interest in them. So then they are reciprocating, right? So they'll ask me, hey, what did you do this weekend? How is your family? The same questions that I would get asked by my girlfriends or my close friends as well too. Um, because they know at the end of the day, I'm a person as well. And I just want to be asked about, hey, how was my weekend, right? How much of that do you think, sorry, John, how much of that do you think stems from the fact that you value that, that level of connectedness with people and so they see it in you and then they reciprocate. I've always been an advocate of this idea of you go first. You, you've got to embody what you expect out of others. So I'm curious, do you think that that, how big of a role has that had in your relationships with people that are much different than you in terms of age, ethnicity, backgrounds, et cetera? I think that's the key. That's really been the key for me, right? To John's point, right, he, he, he notices that I am an empathetic person. And I really think that the main reason is because I'm making those connections and I'm making an effort to make those connections. How has that played into even this mantra that you've developed around just giving back and even touching on the One Young World Summit? Could you, one, introduce the One Young World Summit and what that did for you in your personal journey? So many people yeah. might not know about it. Yeah, thanks, John. So um, I was very fortunate to be a delegate um, 
with our company to the One Young World Summit. And the One Young World Summit is an annual summit for young leaders that are working towards the UN Sustainable Goals for Development. Uh, these young leaders are they're working to solve poverty, working to solve the world's largest issues, climate change. And it's a gathering space for all of these young leaders to share ideas as well as to help bring each other up. Um, so when I first attended the summit, I would say I was a socially conscious person, but I really didn't have a focus. So to our point, right? I knew that there were gaps and disparities in the world, but I didn't know how to go and attack them or use my skills set that I had in order to make a difference. Um, what One Young World showed me is that, hey, there was a framework for solving these issues, right? First, there's the, uni uni the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So there are set goals that we're trying as a world to to achieve. So that helped me to say, okay, here's here's what I'm trying to here's what I'm trying to achieve. And from there, um, I was able to build out, hey, these are, this is my skill set. This is my passion, which I found at One Young World and build up what we're involved in, John, which is Generation Impact. Um, so Generation Impact is a grassroots organization that connects nonprofits, NGOs, as well as social enterprises with skilled, with skilled talent. Because um, we, we realize that, hey, these nonprofits and NGOs might not either have the money or the resources in order to build a website, let's say, or create a new engineering design. Because a lot of social enterprises are built out of people that have great ideas, but they may not have the financial talent to build a business plan, or they may not have the engineering skills to create a drawing for their product. But we have those skills and we can contribute those skills by volunteering virtually, essentially, right? So why, why shouldn't we pair those, these people up? So let's do it. And that's where I found that my skill laid, right? So you know that I'm an empathetic person. So I can really identify, okay, what is the need from these different social enterprises and what are the skills that people have and pair them and essentially become a matchmaker. Can you share a success story that you've had generation impact? Yeah. One of our most recent, um, I would say clients, right. Is Katie's closet. Um, they're a nonprofit based out of Boston. What they do is they build closets within Boston public schools that house, um, essentials as, and clothing for kids. So kids don't have to feel like that, A, they're unclean because they didn't have soap in their home and they, they, feel, they feel more confident because they have clothes that are in style, right? So then they're more likely to go to school. Um, for With Katie's Closet in particular, we helped build, relaunch their website and we build them a mobile app that would connect them with clothing donations. Um, and then we also did um, a marketing plan for them too. We consulted and built them out a marketing plan for a new branch of Katie's Closet that they were conceptualizing. Um, so acting as consultants and helping out these great nonprofits, A, it aids them in making sure that they continue to do their work um, and focus in on the things that they're really good at while we can help them out building a website and attracting more volunteers or building a mobile app so then they can get more donations. 
So even building out this vision, you go to One Young World, you're surrounded by delegates from over 190 countries, thought leaders across the world, and then you come back to that time and there was nothing that existed like this. Mm-hmm. How did you take that idea and the passion that you felt being surrounded by thought leaders into something that's now over a hundred person network and works with NGOs, nonprofits, and actually develop it into something? Because so often people have a passion, but it's hard to turn something like that into an idea when there's no framework for it. You're not working off some playbook here. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of trial and error. And I think understanding that failure is going to happen and just putting yourself out there is really why I think it works. Um, I think we do also do a lot of listening. And for me, getting feedback from whether it be my fellow peers that are helping me run Generation Impact um, or even feedback from the clients that we have served, the nonprofits, the NGOs themselves, um, we've iterated the, the next project after after we've gotten feedback directly from Katie's Closet because we've asked part of our process isn't great. Here's a suggestion. So just being open and being humble and understanding that, hey, it's not going to be perfect. We we have to try something because like you said, John, it doesn't exist. So we might as well try. Yeah, I want to stick on that point if I could. Um, You know, a lot of the organizations that you've referenced, at least the two that, that we've heard about so far, are taking on some pretty audacious goals, um, especially the One Young World Summit. Um, I, I'm curious, you know, there's a lot uh, of things in the world right now to be pessimistic about, um, the future of the earth being one of them, certainly in the way we're going from a climate change perspective. Um, but there are other things as well, the divisiveness of our country and in this country, across the world, um, the lack of empathy at times um, that, you know, we all experience as human beings. Um, what, what keeps you motivated in the face of so much uh, bad news and negativity? Yeah, I think John m- mentioned in my intro, right? Like most recently I became a mom to a beautiful baby girl. Right. And for me now that has made me even more motivated, right? Particularly with the climate crisis, right, Chad? Like we we need to leave our children with something to live on, right? At the end of the day, um, we w- I want her to be able to see all the seasons. I want her to be able to experience winter. I want her to see the f- leaves change color, right? So at a very base level, it's, we wanna leave the next generation with something good. Um, I also am very encouraged by the generation coming up, right? So we see a lot of climate change activists and even just at One Young World, there's always a large, large number of young individuals coming up and it's all young leaders. Those people are that are in a university coming up with great ideas because they know that we need to make change now and we can't wait for politicians to make laws or corporations in order to raise money and address these issues they have to act now so for me it's it's been really encouraging to see that um, because we know that the action has to happen now Todd I guess I'll put the book back on to you kind of with that question right are you have you become more optimistic or pessimistic and I guess I would say in the past two years with all of 
all of what has happened in the past couple of years? Uh, I would say in general, I am more optimistic. And the reason I'm more optimistic is because of people like you and John. Um, I do believe that the millennial generation and generation Z is going, are going to be the generations that take this world forward. And I largely see a commitment like you've described to things that are much uh, an individual cause uh, and certainly things that will impact not only that generation, but future generations beyond that. You mentioned your daughter. I've got two young boys, as I've talked about in previous episodes, and I feel the same way about the world that I'm going to leave for them. Uh, I do see glimmers of hope. I see lots of challenge. Um, But like you, I think I'm propelled forward by a general optimism that we can make a difference could be in small, small things that add add up to big things. Um, And if we just try to create momentum, it's amazing what can happen when you just, um, you know, put in a little effort, put in a little commitment. um, You can see that payoff in in pretty significant ways. And I'm just, I'm I'm optimistic and energized by what I see and feel from, I hate to say it because now I'm, I'm, I'm in the older generation. Um, (laughs) And John and I talked about this for the, in preparation for this call. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and, and, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm a generation Xer. And so I'm getting to be of that age where I can refer to the younger generation, but I, I am optimistic because of, because of that primarily. You both touched on this idea of the younger generation sparking this hope and driving cause and change. What do you think drives that? Why this generation? Why not past generations? I think there's a level of connectedness across the generation that didn't happen with the older generation. Um, so if we are to talk about, let's just say like Greta Thunberg and her message, right? I would have never seen saw, seen her or known of her in, in the past, right? Her, her platform is very much on social media and based off of videos being reshared, right? So that level of connectedness, to Todd's point, sparks that momentum and continues that momentum and the connectedness creates the momentum so we never had that in the past and social media is can be positive and negative but really in this case it it has been the positive because we we wouldn't have this momentum without it yeah and I would add you know dating myself but I do I really feel like right now I'm sort of in that sandwich generation between the baby boomers and the millennials and I think millennials have seen their parents and grandparents be burned out with um, lack of balance in their lives. Um, You know, a grind of a professional life and a career and two parents working outside the home. And um, at, you know, there's there, I think there's a lot of lessons that they've taken away from, from that in terms of what is it all for? Um, and, And can, can we live our lives differently? Can we still work hard, but also have some balance in our lives? Can we work, in different environments? Can we work with more flexibility? Um, And I'm just talking more of a professional sort of angle on this, but I think that there's also a personal angle to it too. And that is that I think younger generations want more balance. They want to feel like they're doing something more than grinding out a job every day. They don't want to look back in their lives 40 years from now and say, the biggest thing I did is, um, you know, I climbed the corporate ladder. I don't think that's enough (laughs) for the younger generation of this country. And I'm, I'm happy about that because they're helping to change my life and make my life more balanced and create momentum. Use the word again behind 
um, more flexibility. I think COVID has, has certainly accelerated that uh, and this whole work from home thing and being able to work in different environments and work remotely. I just feel like that is changing also. It's, it's, a, it's a byproduct of the, the need for younger people to have that balance and to be a part of something bigger. I think it's huge being part of something bigger because it has more meaning. It's less selfish. And one of the beautiful things I see about your story, Gabby, is so often when people create something, it's for whether it's profits, fame, there's some underlying reason that's selfish. Your underlying reason, they're just not getting paid out for this. You created this network that does nothing but help. It propels forward these goals. And there's a quote out there around the idea of true happiness being the art of making others happy. Think about that through that giving mantra. How do you what do you even credit that giving nature to yourself? Because truly you have giving as part of the fabric of who you are. And why does that keep coming up in your life? Like why has that become such a consistent theme for you? Yeah, I definitely attribute that to my upbringing, um, to my parents in particular, right? Because I think they, I mean, they, they grew up in Indonesia. They understood what the disparity was like. And when they came to the U.S., they worked hard and they wanted to make sure that they built a, a great life for us. But it, in doing that, they always made sure that we gave back, whether that be volunteering our time, um, going and helping out in the soup kitchens or volunteering and giving and kind of clothing drives, giving away our old clothes because they knew that what the other side looked like and they lived so closely to it, right? So that was always woven into our lives. And on kind of coming full circle too, like being feeling outside and being other in an area right there's always these people that these neighbors these these friends that become family because our family wasn't here I didn't grow up with my grandparents right next door so my neighbor's grandparents became my grandparents so that just feeling of family and connectedness um, and giving back because at the end of the day right we're all people so we want to make sure that we feel that level of connectedness um, all together. And I think that really has what what propelled me to continue to give back and help out other people is because I've been on that receiving end. So I want to make sure that I continue that cycle. When Even when he asked you to be on this podcast, and you so graciously accepted, and, and he'd listened to a couple episodes, and you saw the title, Pursuing the Process. What came mm -hmm. to your mind, and what does pursuing the process mean to you? So this is, yeah, this is really funny. So my mom actually came to mind. Um, so when I was choosing high schools um, in Cincinnati, choosing a high school is a very big deal. It's almost as big as choosing a university, right? Um, but at the end of the day, my mom said, really, it's all about your journey, right? So everybody's going to get into college no matter what what high school you choose, right? The destination is going to be the same, but what car do you want to be driving in? Do you want to be driving in a BMW or do you want to be driving in a Honda Civic, right? So what does your destination, the destination is going to be the same, but what does, what does your journey look like? And for me, I was thinking, I was like, okay, like what kind of car would I be, right? in pursuing <laughs> this process. And I think like my car is, is a mom van like I'd be the mom van <laughs> packing everybody in with snacks and picking up the, the picking up people alongside the road because I want to help people out I want to make sure everybody's fed and everybody has ample drinks right so I I'm the mom van um, so for me pursuing the process and making sure that my that destination and everybody I truly believe is going to be in the same place but how do we how do we make sure that the process or even 
the journey to get there is comfortable. Pack in the mom van and you will have such ample snacks. I know goodies. You got juice boxes. Mm-hmm. You probably got even fruit in there. You're probably a healthy mom in the mix. <laughs> The you actually have eat. a mom van now? Um, that will be our next one. Um, we are we're waiting for the mileage to rack up on my current car, and then we already have a van picked out. So yes, don't, don't tell me you have a Honda Civic, thing. though. No, I do not. I have. <laughs> She's rocking a BMW. Civic. No. Yeah. We have a VW, a VW Golf that I so dearly love. <laughs> what do you have what? a name for the Golf? Um, it is called Frozo from uh, The Incredibles because <laughs> it's a white, it's a white. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, hey, so one, one more question I have, and maybe we'll put a yeah. bow on this conversation. Um, again, I'm going to refer to my age. I'm not sure why I'm doing that repeatedly right now maybe because I feel <laughs> so uncomfortable being around two 20 somethings, but I, I will, um, I will, I will just ask this question. What advice do you have for people like me and others who are, are, are leading millennials and Generation Z employees or, or teammates or friends or wh- whatever? Um, mm-hmm. what, what, genera- what, what advice do you have um, for, for us in being effective leaders and inspiring that next generation of leaders? I think is give us the space. I've been very fortunate to have managers and people leaders that value the work that I do in Generation Impact because they ultimately know that I'll be a better employee to the company because I'm happy to come to work. I have contacts throughout the entire company that some in some project in the future I can pull upon. Um, so for me, as a people leader, give us the space to do it because it does make us better employees at the end of the day. Great advice. Well, Gabby, thank you so much for being a part of this. You are thank an you for having what, me. Oh, it is such a treat. You seriously are such a giver. The way that you look at the world and the way of giving back and realizing how fortunate we are to be in positions that we hold, whether it's economically, socially, but having that lens of constantly wanting to help out others. And the analogy you give of the mom van, I think sums it up perfectly. So <laughs> back the mom van. Let's keep on yeah. rising in this process. So thank there, you for being there, on with us. Yeah, there may be there may be an episode title in there somewhere. We'll have to see what we come up with. But yeah, I will I will concur. And I just want to say I'm inspired by you um, and your selflessness and everything you've done so far. Sky's the limit for you. And I can't wait to see what's next. Um, There's a lot of things we could certainly have gone deeper into today. So maybe we'll have you back sometime. Sounds good. Yeah. You guys have to tell me what cars you are after some thinking. (laughs) I was going to say, I'm going to have to think about this because I I like how you took it because I'm definitely not. Like a nice fancy car, definitely not my style. Like I'm probably like a camper van or like a <laughs> like a Jeep Wrangler or something like that, or like an RV and just pack it full of people. Like something like that is definitely yeah. more my style. Like do a little off road and like a, par- a party bus maybe. Maybe I'm a party bus. John, John's like the like school bus party bus. Oh, I have yeah. to say he he definitely would be a party bus in my mind. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> what are you, Todd? <sighs> You know what? Prius. No, man. I, I'm actually going <laughs> to take the same route with the um, uh, larger vehicle. I, John knows this. I took an RV trip this past uh, summer in the end oh, of nice. August with four other guys. First time I'd ever touched an RV. I had no clue what I was doing, but neither did the four guys I was with. So it was beautiful. <laughs> we all just kind of figured it out together. And our, our whole thing, we created this uh, rallying cry around. We were five guys, five days, five great lakes. We jumped in all five nice. great lakes. And did a tour through Canada and came back. 
And um, I love that. Like, I love the camaraderie of it. I love the exploration of it. I love the adventure. I love the freedom. Like, I don't know. I mean, maybe I would be an RV. Uh, I love it. Um, Thank you much, Gabby. It's awesome. Thank you. Man, I really enjoyed that discussion with Gabby. I'm leaving that inspired by her story. And I think it just highlights, JB, what we're trying to do with this podcast, which is give people a platform to tell their story. These aren't people that are, you know, widely known, but to hear Gabby's experiences growing up, uh, you know, in a, in a uh, being a first generation American and with a family uh, where they largely felt out of place, uh, regardless of which country they were in, but how she used that to propel her forward in life and to create empathy for others and to do great things just left me inspired. And uh, I'm so glad we had her on. And, and John, thanks for facilitating that. But for you, what's it all about? You touched on that empathy piece. I know we got into that dialogue at the beginning part of the podcast, but I think an underlying theme indirectly touched on was this idea of humility. And there's a quote out there saying how humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And that feeds right into this giving nature that Gabby has. I mean, how awesome when she's asked what car she wants to be, she wants to be a mom van. She wants to be a mom van. I mean, she wants to bring people along for the ride and her process and her pursuit of that is all around building into the lives of others and making others' lives better. I think there is such a unique takeaway there. We should all strive to give more and give more than we take. It's a beautiful quality to behold. No doubt. Well said. If you want to check out all the great things that Gabby and John and others are doing with Generation Impact, we'll put the website up in the notes for this episode and up on our social media accounts, our Facebook and Twitter accounts. If you aren't following us yet, please do. Pursuing the Process on Facebook and at Pursuing Process on Twitter. Thank you to everybody who's listened so far, everybody who's followed us on social media, given us feedback. It is a humbling experience to do this, uh, but today just reinforces why we're doing it. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Can't wait to do it again soon. And we are out.